Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast in the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. This week, I thought we'd take a look at the cousin of M&A, or maybe the sibling of M&A. I'm talking about going public, the other way that investors of private companies, at least, can become rich or monetize their investment, uh, as people in the industry say. But I felt like it was worth taking a look at the IPO market this week because it seems like private companies, especially technology companies, are deciding to bypass going public in favor of either selling or at least staying private longer. It's a theme my colleague Alex Barinka and I have been studying all year. Alex covers IPOs for Bloomberg, and she joins us now. Hi, Alex. Welcome to Deal of the Week. Hello, Alex. Nice to have both of us here, uh, both the two Alexes in one spot. Long overdue. <laughs> uh, so, to quote the sound of music, let's start at the very beginning here. Well, we don't. It doesn't have to be like Genesis One beginning, but uh, can you give us a broad stroke landscape of what's happened to the IPO market since, let's say, over the past five years, and remind us why companies choose to go public in the first place. So so looking over, you know, the like you said the past handful of years for tech specifically, I mean the IPO has been when as you said the the investors and the founders get rich, it's when they actually get to go out and uh, try to prove themselves really as a standalone big company. If you rewind to uh, let's say 4 or 5 years ago, the typical time it took for a private company to go public, we are looking at 5 6 years uh, that they stayed private before they kind of hit that button. Now uh, we're talking, according to Nasdaq private market, it's nine years. So you can see that genesis over time. And you know, if you also look back at the at the bigger names uh, that have done well, like rewind to 2012, that was the era of Facebook and Workday, and you know some of those uh, companies who went out. So that was where it was. Since then, we've seen kind of this changing landscape, and there are a few um, kind of ingredients that have played into into this cocktail that has made the IPO market what it is now. And part of that is, A, private funding has become a lot more accessible. And, and I know we'll, we'll want to talk about that a little bit later. But And, and also, um, you know, just general market conditions has such a play into uh, the exit market when it comes to going public. So when I think IPO, I think like hot tech startup, Facebook, you mentioned Workday, Twitter, Alibaba, but of course, many companies that aren't tech companies are also private and choose to go public. Do we have? Do you have statistics on sort of what percentage of companies that IPO are, are tech or tech-like versus others? So, so it, let's let's rewind a little. So, like, look at 2014, which is a big year for IPOs in general in the U.S. For U.S. listed companies, there are 213 companies, excluding funds and SPACs and REITs. Um, and and of those companies, 40 of them were in technology and communications. That's 19% of the total U.S. Uh, listings in 2014. Bring it to 2016, this year, uh, year to date, and, and both of these numbers are from January through September, we've only had 70 companies go public in the U.S., 12 of those have been tech and communications, which is 17%. Now, I, I, to drill down a little deeper in those tech numbers, if you look at just the venture capital-backed companies, 2014, you saw 11% of total companies go out were VC-backed tech companies. This year, it's only 5%. So you can kind of see that changing landscape um, over the past two years from uh, who's actually exiting and who's not really hitting the road yet. All right. So well, like you said, we'll, talk, we'll get into private capital in a minute, but let's hang on this subject. So 
2014, 213 companies go public. 2015, 143. And this year you mentioned 70. Right, through September 12th through of those years. January through September of each year. So that's a pretty stark decline. And yet the S&P seems pretty healthy and stable right now. So what exactly is going on here? Why are all these companies choosing that this is the wrong time to go public. So if you think about what goes into an IPO, you kind of have to have uh, at least a, a decent um, kind of situation in certain categories. You have to have the companies actually getting ready. You have to have the investors there and hungry to buy into those deals. And you have to have market conditions that are conducive to go public. So if you think back to uh, my first day on this gig was August 24th of last year, you'll remember that was when the market crashed uh, with devaluation. Of the yuan. Since then, you know, investors, that investor piece of it, have been super risk averse. They have not wanted to uh, kind of invest in, in riskier securities, period. And if you think about it, a new stock is inherently risky. It doesn't have a trading background. So that made things a little bit difficult. Markets stayed choppy through into, uh, into the new year, into February. And, and so how does that play into the issuer side? Well, if you're a company and you're looking out and seeing that all of your costs which are going to be compared against uh, the other public companies in your industry are trading so poorly, you're not going to be prepping to go public. So there was kind of a pause in, in companies actually getting ready that has affected things to now. And, you know, you still have, again, that that market piece. Volatility has been a big question mark. When the stocks are swinging around, it's hard to, A, you know, decide the valuation for the private company that's going out and also just price the deal and get it done. I see. So so part of this is that uh, if you decide that market conditions are good, you can't just snap your fingers and say, I'm going to go public tomorrow. Exactly. So there's some sort of backlog. It's like a lagging indicator to some degree, right? right? And, and if you're a private tech company and you, can, and you need the capital and you can get it from investors privately, why not? So uh, describe for, for viewers that aren't as familiar with this, when I do decide... So first of all, this, this, this cocktail is, is a little weird because... About how long does it take from the moment I decide I want to go public to the moment I actually start trading publicly? And then there's forecasting involved here, right? Because I actually can't look at the market today. That's irrelevant. I need to forecast what it is what how many months does it usually take so so there's there is a lot of nitty gritty controls like companies get on my radar especially in the tech scene when they hire a CFO right when they start to get their internal controls in place the kind of you know run of the mill accounting stuff right so from from that moment on it could be years but when you actually kind of say i'm going to pull the trigger i'm ready to go my company's fundamentally sound and we have everything in place usually you you know i hear tales of you know 6 to 8 months if not a little longer until they actually are ready to pull to pull the trigger. And what goes into that six to eight months? Because I know there's certain elements that are involved in all IPOs. So they have to, for instance, they have to put together a prospectus, an S1, it's called, that has all the information about the company in it. And then they go on a road show, right, where they sort of pitch themselves to theoretical investors. These are two elements that are in almost, or 
I guess I could say all IPOs, right? Exactly. So the the S1, the prospectus, it's these lovely, big, thick documents that I love marking up and reading that they'll pull together with their underwriters. So so the first step, really, you, the company, the management team thinks they're IPO ready. They're going to go out and hire some advisors. They're going to bring in the bankers. They're going to pull together an S1 uh, with the help of their advisors. And, and then they're going to file that S1. For a lot of the tech companies, remember the Jobs Act came in a few years ago. Now they're able to file, if they make less than a billion a year in revenue, they're able to file confidentially first. So so the companies are either bigger, they're filing, and then they, they pull the trigger on a roadshow and they go out and pitch to investors. Or if they're smaller, if they're a Jobs Act company, they can file confidentially and have some investor conversations before they file publicly. So, so that process starts. And then when they say, look, we are ready, we are going out, they do hit the button on the roadshow, they pitch their wares to investors, they have these big luncheons, they meet with folks across the country or across the world. And you know they get to listing day, and they finally go out. So part of the part of the idea is you've got to forecast market conditions. Part of the idea is company specific because you need to put all of your information into one of these S one and convince people that they're going to make money off you if you go private. So to put this in some perspective here, I ran a few numbers here. There are 485 companies based in the U.S. that have a market cap of 10 billion dollars. There are 1,269 companies in the world with a market cap of over $10 billion. According to, this is this is sort of estimates from cbinsights.com, a list you provided me with, Alex, the unicorn list. Unicorn is like the lingo for private companies that are worth more than a billion dollars. There are 14 private companies that are valued at over $10 billion. So that's not that many, uh, you know, not. in a comparative to, to, to all those private companies. So we can actually talk about some of these specifically, and we don't need to generalize, because to some degree, each of these companies has their own story, which is dictating why or why not they haven't gone public yet. In fact, Alex, I think you mentioned to me that there are 14 companies in January that Bloomberg had that have over $100 million in annual revenue that we had sourcing that they might go public this year, and none of them have. None of them have, correct. So... Let's talk about some of these companies, maybe not those 14, but just some of the big companies we're talking about that have an IPO that maybe you would have thought would and why they haven't IPO. So one that has been in the chatter for a while and I think is a really good example of what a lot of these companies are going to have to deal with is Dropbox. They're t $10 billion. Exactly. $10 billion private valuation. Remember, private. There's different dynamics there than when you're pricing for a public company. Uh, we broke some news in the past month saying the company has brought in uh, underwriters to basically uh, lay out for them what kind of valuation they could realistically get if they were to go public public next year, what valuation uh, public market investors are willing to give them. So remember, Dropbox is the, it started out as, you know, a, a file storage company for consumers. Lately, they've been kind of pushing into the business sec sector, uh, into enterprise, but there have been a lot of questions about their uh, their business model, where their growth comes next, and you know those are all things that if you're a public market investor are going to play in. Because remember, when these companies go out, they're pitching their narrative. They're saying this is the reason why you should place a bet on me, and we think we're worth this much. So if they're actually going to uh, bankers and saying, look, please lay out for us whether or not we could uh, get to ten billion dollar market value publicly, and and if not, which seem to be, according to my sources, it'll probably fall under that if they were to go, then, you know, what what do we do? Can we retain talent? Because that's a really bad 
optics thing for your employees who are your gold, basically, if you're a tech company. Can we actually raise as much as we need? So th- those are kind of the the questions that, that Dropbox seems to be facing. And frankly, a lot of these privately valued companies will. Because look, 2014, 2015, when you look at the private rounds, you have uh, some of this scarcity effect where investors were willing to pay up uh, to get in. And so, you know, if a company was reaching on valuation or pitching something that investors might not have been able to square with their models, they'd, you know, throw in that little bit of uh, fear of missing out premium just to get in. And you also have, uh, that was 2014, 2015 was a time where you hadn't seen a lot of exits yet. And since then, we have learned that a lot of these companies look at Etsy, Pure Storage, you know, that have gone public, have gone out at valuations either at or below uh, where they went out. Square is another one from late last year, went public below its last private funding round. So who's calling the shots on this? And this is where we can start to get into our discussion of private capital a little bit. So you've got the people that are making the decisions on whether or not to go public or, let's say, sell themselves or stay private. Some of them are the venture capitalists that are investing money that have a decent amount of stake. Obviously, the founder, you'd think, would have maybe the biggest say in this. I guess there are bankers involved that are advising them. Are there other people in the room that are helping to make this decision? The counterparties are, you went through the the majority of them, and and the investors who are on the board probably have more of a say. Um, You do have the founders if it's a very founder-controlled company. And, and, you know, and the other investors who are clamoring, saying, look, y'all are private a lot longer than we thought you would be. We need to show returns to our LPs, you know, what's happening here. Exactly, to, to the folks who are giving the VCs and the, the growth equity Their shops money, money to, to make invest money. in the companies. Got it. A good example of this was, uh, you know, we put out a story before. Remember, Uber sold its Uber China business to Didi. Um, about two weeks before that deal was uh, was inked, we had put out a story saying Uber investors are pushing the company to sell that unit because that is one of the biggest hangups before the company could even consider going public. That unit was losing so much money. There was so many questions around it. That kind of uh, question mark is too big of a risk, really, for public investors to stomach. So even just the dream of Uber getting out, uh, that wasn't going to happen until they squared that Uber China business. So one of the things that I think in the, let's, you know, if you rewind the clock 20 years ago or so, the, the, the narrative to go public seemed somewhat simpler to me, which was this. You have a company... It raises private money. The The people that put in money in it need to get a return on their money. Or it's like, look, the idea here is I gave you money. Now I want my money. And the way they got their money was either the company was sold or it IPO'd. And then they could sell out in the public market. Now there's a new variable that has entered the picture that must have some major ramifications, which is an ability to monetize privately, not through the public market. How much has that factored in? And and sort of explain to us how that works. It's factored in quite a bit. And so uh, what is happening now, because these private rounds have gotten bigger and bigger, the companies are not only selling new equity to these investors at every round. So you have your seed round, you know, a few hundred thousand, maybe million dollars. You have your Series A, you know, tens of millions. And it works up from there. We're seeing these massive mega rounds. And I'm just talking equity. We're not even getting into converts or debt. 
that that we've seen with some of the later stage company. Just equity. These mega rounds are hundreds of millions up to billions of dollars, which is the typical size of what an IPO used to be. So the companies are able to a you know sell their uh, equity fresh, and b give other investors or employees or other holders of the stock an opportunity to sell what we call secondary uh, where you know if I am an employee of, of Acme Corp and I was an early employee I have a bunch of equity I've been sitting on it for six years I need to send my kid to college I can sell that potentially if the company gives me the opportunity to in one of these later rounds so you've seen more turnover in terms of of the equity which has satiated at least the need for some of these holders to get liquidity so the big ones based in the U.S. here, Uber is the giant among all the unicorns, $68 billion private valuation. I'm just talking about U.S. companies here. Airbnb is next at about $30 billion. There's Palantir Technologies uh, at $20 billion. They're sort of like a big data privacy type company. Then there's Snapchat, $18 billion. WeWork, the sort of the office you know, facilities business, $16 billion. We've got, let's see, SpaceX at $12 billion. Pinterest at $11 billion. We talked about Dropbox at $10 billion. Are any of these companies going to go public in 2017? So increasingly what I'm hearing from my sources, and again, this is not the companies indicating. It's the, the smartest people in the room saying, look, some of these have to. Because they're at the point now where they either need to, uh, they're running out of pools of capital. They've invested across the board. We've seen uh, Airbnb and Uber both tap credit lines. We've seen Snapchat do that in, in the past week. Uh, they are going to have to get out. Um, and they, they won't sell. They're uh, too big to sell. So, see, these seem to be too big to sell. And, and as you know, on the on the M A side, some of these valuations are too big for a strategic to stomach right now. Right. So for the biggest of the big, that that option is kind of off the table. Um, so it seems like you know I I'm starting to hear Uber could be a 2017 2018 event. Airbnb could be as well. But you know I'll caveat by saying that it is like saying, look, I'm going to have a baby in the next five years. It could happen next year. It could happen in five years. But it's going to happen. So there's a little bit of that playing into this dynamic. But you know another one that's right next on this list, Spotify is one we wrote on that might probably be the first one out. Um, it, we have Our sources tell us the company's aiming for the second half of next year. But again, you, you come back to this idea with them of business model issues. They have to work out a bunch of, uh, you know, the contract with the labels that they pay to get the music. So there are all of these factors that these companies, you know, are still young companies and they need to figure out if they're going to get anywhere near the private valuation they currently have. Alex Barinka, our initial public offerings reporter here at Bloomberg, uh, sort of a whirlwind look at the landscape right now. And, and we'll see. We'll see uh, what, which of these companies go public in 2017. And if any of them do, in fact, decide, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're better off selling if they can uh, than going public. It should be an interesting year next year. Maybe one more question for you, Alex, before we leave you. Any companies that are currently IPOing or about to IPO that we sh- that are notable? Uh, notable is a relative term. Uh, it's, the IPOs have mostly been pretty small this year. On the road right now is an ad tech company called Trade Desk, another company called Aptio. But these are all less than $100 million raises, which is relatively small. So, you know, notable is all relative these days. We've only had four VC-backed tech companies actually list in the U.S. this year, so I'll take what I can get. So that's it for this week's episode. Alex, thank you for joining us. You can expect more Bloomberg reporters and M&A professionals who are doing deals real time. And until then, find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Google Play, or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. 
And please take a minute to rate and review the show while you're there. Uh, feel free to email me at asherman6 at bloomberg.net with any questions or future topic ideas for the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Alex Barinka is at Alex B-A-R-I-N-K-A. See you next week.